the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. With us today is Bishop Bob Jackson. He is the founding and senior pastor of Acts Full Gospel Church in Oakland. We are wrestling with what seems to be almost a, a perennial topic here. And we're seeing it played out, of course, in the streets of America. 145 cities, the count of where protests have taken place just since a week ago, Monday, when George Floyd lost his life tragically on the streets of Minneapolis. We've even seen some foreign countries chime in, uh, recognizing just how uh, pervasive all of this is. And as we've touched upon repeatedly in our conversation tonight, um, you look at the list of people, and it's a growing one. You look at the challenges that minorities face in our country, and we seem to get excited about this for a season, and then it's back to business as usual. And I'm curious, Bishop Jackson, from your perspective, this is a this is a cycle that we're on. As much as we go through school shootings, for example, and we'll be shocked and horrified, it will occupy the news ad nauseum for days, maybe weeks. There will be tributes to the individuals who lost their lives. There will be calls for more gun control, and then quietly, slowly, it all seems to sort of disappear from view as we begin to focus back on the other things of life that uh, distract us on a day-to-day basis. And we set aside for a moment our concern and our outrage until the next time that it happens. And then we once again offer our thoughts and prayers with the survivors and the families that have been taken from us until the next time it happens. I guess the big question is, we've had these conversations before, um, what needs to be different this time, and how do people like you and me need to be at the center of making that difference? Well, I think think we're too used to having events. And I think the protesters out there, I think a lot of them uh, are not genuine. I don't think there's... Black Lives Matter signs they're carrying and whatnot. They don't care anything about black people because there's enough white folks out there to change the culture of this country overnight. I mean, when you look at New York and you look at Los Angeles and Oakland and you look at all the places where all of these protests were going on, there was a whole lot of white people involved with those pro-black lives, and they do that every time. But then they burn the city, and then they break the windows and tear up and destroy the place. And it, and it just throws such a bad shadow on why we were really protesting in the first place. It didn't have anything to with looting and tearing up the community and tearing up the city and, and, and vandalizing the property of the people. It didn't have anything to do with that. It just cast a negative shadow on what was really trying to be said. And I think those events don't last because that's what they are, just an event until the next time a white police officer shoots a black person. 
But I think if, it, if the event could turn into a movement, and Greg, we could be at the helm of a movement right now, because I believe God has many pastors and apostles and evangelists and prophets and teachers and ministers listening to the broadcast right now that God is touching their hearts to want to come together to rebuke this racist demon in the name of Jesus and to begin to seek the love of God so the love of God could be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, according to Romans 5, that God could be glorified, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ could be exalted, and the governor and everybody else will know that the churches are essential and that we can be essential if, if we come together and fight those pandemics. I believe coronavirus would disappear off the face of the earth if the church would come together, repent, ask forgiveness for our sins, seek the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, turn from our wicked ways. I believe God would change this America and the hearts of the people. But it's got to begin with the church and change this event and these events that we seem to have into a movement. Craig, did you notice one thing? When Martin Luther King was leading those marches, he started off, they were all black. But as he began to continue the marches in peace, he didn't go into any violence. They, sick, they were sicking dogs on him and water hoses and putting him in jail and doing all kinds of things uh, to the people. I was in England, like I said, in the Air Force, and they showed it on the BBC networks, and it was just, it was so embarrassing for America, this great country, to be sick, putting water hoses on people and sicking dogs on people and treating the people like, and they said, uh-huh, you see, that's what America is all about. And it just showed such a hypocrisy about the land of the free and the home of the brave. And what I'm getting at is, People were able to see America for what it really is. And once again, we see America, and it's not looking too good. But I can't help but saying we've got to go back to the churches because, to me, that's the only hope. And, Craig, if we don't do this, if we don't some kind of way stir up the pastors, evangelists, missionaries, apostles, all that are listening to this broadcast today, if we don't stir them up by the power of the Holy Spirit, to want to change their ways and change their doctrines and change their philosophies to include the love of God for everybody and treat. Jesus said something so arresting. He said, by this you will know. He said, all men will know that you are my disciples when you have love one to another. We don't have love one to another in the Christian church. We just don't have it. And people can see it. The young people can see it. That's why they don't even bother to come to church. Call us a bunch of hypocrites. We're going to heaven to be together, but we can't come together in America. It's amazing to me. But I think the church holds the key, and I'm praying, and maybe before we can go off this broadcast, that we can pray for the leaders of the church, for the apostles, the pastors, evangelists, missionaries, ministers, that God would get a hold of their heart, even right now and turn that heart towards him to repent and to cry out for mercy on their souls because we have actually helped this country be the way it is. But when Martin Luther King was leading that march and it began to turn multiracial, 
white pre- people came, black people, brown people, yellow people, red people, all the people started coming together. And I'm telling you, got more and more powerful. They killed him. And when they killed him, 1968, there was nobody to pick up the baton and to carry on the works that that man had died for. And it's almost like the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nobody that's really willing to carry on the works that he came to do and to finish his works in this land. Where are our leaders? Where are those who can cry out? And ask God for mercy at this time. Have mercy, Lord. Mercy is that you know I'm guilty, but don't give me what I deserve. Have mercy on me. And to repent and make up our minds starting today, as you keep that image of George Floyd laying in the street with that police officer with his knee on his neck, calling for his mama. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. In America, in 2020, Lord Jesus, my Lord, it's time to pray. Bishop, Bishop, would you lead us in that moment of prayer, please? Let's do it. Can you say, Lord Jesus? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you tonight, and we just give you the praise for KFAX and for Craig Roberts, Lord, and Lifeline, that we're able to minister freely and say those things, Lord, that you're giving us to say, to share to the body of Christ, to the church, that it's time for us to really repent of our ways and turn from our wicked ways and seek your face tonight. In the name of Jesus, that you would hear from heaven and heal our land, not just from COVID-19, but also from this disease, this pandemic of racism that's just engulfing our world, our United States, our cities, our country. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, for the leaders of the church. Lord, you said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But man has made the church his church. And we know, Lord Jesus, you are the head of the church, and we are your body. And tonight I'm praying for the leaders of the church, for the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the ministers, the elders. Lord, that you would touch our hearts tonight and that you would bind us together You said, whatsoever we bind on earth, you'll bind it in heaven. Lord, bind us together tonight. Let us be one in you, Lord Jesus. And let us fight for the rights and for justice of the people of this world. In the name of Jesus, let us love one another as you have loved us. And Lord, let us be willing to call it like it is, to tell the truth, to expose the hypocrisies and the lies that are being told around racism and that we would promote love, the love of God, which is not a respecter of persons, regardless of your color, your nationality, your ethnicity. You died for all of us, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you would touch our hearts to remember we had nothing to do with the color of our face. We had nothing to do with where we were born and who our mom and dad was. You decided all of that. 
We are who you made us. And, Lord, we are to love one another. So men and women in this world could see that we are truly your disciples when we have love one to another. You said all men will know then that we are really your disciples. Touch us tonight, Lord. Touch the hearts and minds. And, Lord, there may be some that need to repent who already know as they search their hearts. You said let a man examine himself to see if he's in the faith. And as we pray that the men and women of God that are leading the churches today would examine themselves at this very hour to search their heart, see if there be found any iniquity in them, any sin in them, any racism in them. Lord, and let all of them repent and turn from their wicked way. And tonight, Lord, I want to just pray for those that may be repenting right now. Tears streaming down their eyes, asking you to forgive them in the name of Jesus. And all of you that are listening tonight who know that you are not right, and you know your heart needs fixing, you know you need a heart transplant right now, I want you to pray this little prayer with me. I want you to repeat after me, Lord Jesus. Come on. Lord Jesus. Oh, God, can't you feel the Holy Spirit right there? Lord Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and you were buried. And on the third day, God the Father raised you from the dead. And right now, Lord Jesus, I open the door to my heart and I receive you into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. Give me a heart transplant. Take out that stony heart, Lord. Give me a heart of flesh and fill me with your love that I could love my brothers and sisters like you've loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bishop Jackson, I appreciate you taking some time to be with us to bring some perspective on this very troubling issue and uh, to call all of us as the church, the body of Christ, to uh, a renewed sense of commitment and confession, quite frankly. Um, And um, obviously we all need to do a much better job in addressing many of these issues that are plaguing our nation today because the very survival for the soul of America is at stake. Bishop Bob Jackson, I appreciate so much, brother, you taking some time to be with us today. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for having me, and God bless you. Bishop Bob Jackson, senior pastor and founder of Acts Full Gospel Church in Oakland. That press conference again will take place there at Frank Ogawa Plaza City Hall on Friday. 622 from KFAX. Let's get you updated on some traffic right now from the KFAX Traffic Center, the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Stressed to the max, pushed to the limit, squeezed for time, doing more with less, productivity up, leisure time down. Sound a lot like your life? No doubt. For increasing millions of Americans, it is. And yet, how often do you hear of deathbed regrets of not having worked longer hours or stayed down at the office more? We have substituted 
quality for quantity, and we are, quite frankly, all results-driven and satisfaction-starved. We've even managed to complicate our spiritual lives to the point of doing more while loving less. Spiritual Simplicity, Chip Ingram's new book, helps us rebalance and reorder our lives back to God's ideal for us, doing less, loving more. Chip is Senior Pastor, Adventure Christian Church in Los Gatos, and Pastor Chip, great to have you join us on this edition of Lifeline. Craig, it's always a joy to be with you, and we obviously love the Bay Area, and thanks for having me. Wow, a topic that I think uh, every single American can certainly relate to, particularly for those of us living the the crazy uh, Silicon Valley dance here in the Bay Area. Uh, We are emotionally and spiritually exhausted. What's going on? Well, I, uh, you know, I actually entitled, in honor of where we live, the first chapter of the book talks about the Silicon Valley shuffle. (laughs) And, uh, And there's four steps to this dance, bigger, better, faster. And then if you're whatever you're doing, I mean, whatever your kids are doing, whatever your company's doing, whatever your home's doing, you want it to be bigger, and then it needs to be better, and then it needs to be faster. And then if we ever get those three steps down, then we add one more, more. So bigger, better, faster, more. Bigger, better, faster, more. And it just creates insane pace. It, it creates uh, people passing in the night. You're up early. Uh, the weekends are in SUVs and minivans going to five or six different games. And we've got our kids in all measure of things to prepare them for success. And the relationships get thin. And just the world that we have allowed ourselves, I mean, it's, it's there, but it moves too fast. It delivers too little, and it demands too much. And this book is about God's remedy to that, and that real change is possible. There is such a, a vacuum of satisfaction at so many levels that people are experiencing in their marriages, in their relationships with their children, at work, even in church, and even their relationship with God. And it's interesting because when I first picked up this new copy of Spiritual Simplicity, Doing Less, Loving More, which, by the way, newly released by our friends over at Simon & Schuster, you can get it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com, I thought, Okay, this is probably what we've kind of come to anticipate when we deal with this topic of overstressed and and undersatisfied, and that is um, Chip has written a new book here that will give us some insights, the strategic focus on time management and organization. But in fact, this book has nothing to do with that, and boy, aren't I relieved. (laughs) Yeah, there's not seven things to do that'll simplify your life or uh, three keys to remember or uh, here's the silver bullet. You know, if you read pages 5, 7, 11, and 14 for 1995, uh, all your stress will go away, your life will be simplified, and things will be wonderful. But it is a completely different paradigm about how to look at life, and it's very interesting. As you and I were talking just before we you know, came on the air here, that you know, in uh, the very beginning of 2011, I discovered right after teaching this series that became the book that my wife had cancer. And, and, you know, I, like you, I mean, I've, I live in Silicon Valley. Uh, the church is uh, experiencing some, some exciting things. Living on the Edge has had a real explosion in the last three or four years. And so should I go to this city, and I've got to finish this book, and I need to speak there, and, you know, busy, 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 full, full, full. And, you know, I have driven some stakes about time with my wife and time with the Lord and things, but still just overwhelmed at times. And it was really interesting, Craig. Um, two days after we found out she had cancer, and then we learned that, you know, we were going to do some surgery, and then we'd have a number of treatments. Uh, literally, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. Two days earlier, I agonized, you know, can I, can I be in New York? And if I'm there, then I, can I get in Chicago in time? You know, all these, 
It was, I canceled everything. I canceled everything for six or nine months other than my basic responsibilities of teaching here at the church and meeting with our staff. And, and you, you know something? And then I, I, I went through every treatment with my wife, and I had time. And, and you know what? All that didn't matter. And the thesis of this book, and we'll talk about how to get there, is if you choose, and I hope you don't need someone to get cancer or the death of someone, or, but when you choose to say, I'm going to love more, I'm going to love, I'm going to make sure this relationship is where it needs to be, you just start doing less. But the irony was the church grew like never before. Living on the edge had its best year. My wife and I's relationship was like, I mean, we've always been close, but it was like, wow, as hard as it was, that intensity and that pain together. Uh, fortunately, she's come through it all and has good health. But I just want to let people know it's really a new paradigm. It's not about doing more. It's about loving more. Well, that's just it, because so often we define ourselves in sort of the measure of a man or a success that marks one's life based on what we've done, what we've accomplished, and, and, and seldom, if ever, defined on uh, how we love. And yet, throughout Scripture, what's demonstrated is not what we do or how we do it, but why we do it, the motivation, and, and how we love. So you're really shifting this away from the notion of get more satisfaction out of life, get more organized, get more things done. No, it's rather moving away from kind of that stereotypical bigger, better, faster, more uh, paradigm that we've all lived by in these 50 and 60 plus hour work weeks to now understand how quickly time slips by and that we need to completely change up the conversation from being defined by what we accomplish in life to rather being defined by how we love. Wow. One of the things that has helped me, because, you know, you don't just, you know, those are great thoughts, and I'm thinking, you know, someone's driving in their car right now and on a very crowded freeway probably, or, you know, maybe they, uh, you know, podcast your program and are working out somewhere. Uh, but we do ask the question unconsciously, how did I do, which is about performance. We ask the question, so what do I have, you know, compared to other people, which is about possession. And then we say, well, you know, how much do I give? You know, I give this to my family, I give this to work, I, you know, I give this to the church. And what I found is that if you're going to shift from sort of performance and pressure uh, to really loving, you have to change how did I do to who am I becoming. Mm. I mean, Im imagine what would happen if you wrote on a card, who am I becoming, and read it in the morning and kept it in the car with you and, and read it before you went to bed, and you started evaluating who are my kids becoming? Not how did they do, not how many points did they score, not what are their tests, but what kind of people are they becoming? The second question is from what do I have, and no matter how much we have, we're human, we want more, is how am I using it? You know, it shifts from acquiring to stewardship. And then the third question is instead of how much do I give to other people and to my kids and to why do I give it? So it shifts from sort of the provision that I'm doing, because we think, well, I'm, I'm doing this for my family. I'm providing for them. Uh, I've got to get them in all these youth sports. I've got to give them all these lessons, and they need to have all these tutors. And, and don't get me wrong, there's a place for you know, performance and priorities, but we've overdosed on that. If the question goes to why do I give it, it goes to motive. You know, what, what are we really <clears throat> trying to accomplish? A lot of this, Pastor Chip, runs counterintuitive to the flesh, doesn't it? I mean, for example, we just came through recently the big Super Bowl game, and San Francisco, you know, painfully just a few points shy of being able to pull out a win. You were a coach 
for many, many years. So much of how we define life is based on the, 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 you know, the sports model of scoring the points, beating the other guys, so to speak. Now, all of a sudden, we're, we're talking about a paradigm shift here, as you've suggested, that it seems to me it runs counterintuitive to, to what our flesh desires to do. Well, it's super counterintuitive. And here's what I would just say. In, in five seconds, three years ago, who won the Super Bowl? Quick, 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 tell me. Forget it. <laughs> no one knows. Couldn't tell you who played in it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you, know, I, I'm, you know, maybe a, a quick aside, a, a player that I really like uh, got inducted to the Hall of Fame, and uh, he's one of the ESPN announcers. And as a result of that, you know, they had the chairs up there, the new Hall of Fame, and they interviewed him, and they spent a lot of time on it because he couldn't, he just couldn't control his emotions. And he began to cry and say, oh, he kept apologizing, you know, big, strong. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame, uh, you know, went into the hall, and, and he couldn't get his arms around these emotions. And, and so, you know, after three, four, five minutes of trying to get his emotions and crying, it was one of the saddest things I ever heard, and he just stopped. He goes, all I can tell you is uh, it's the third ballot, and they told me it would be this great even if it wasn't the first ballot and the second ballot, and they were right, it's the third ballot. This is by far the happiest day of my life. And I was sitting, you know, in my little chair in front of the TV, and I don't know why, but it was like a stab in the heart, and I thought to myself, that is so sad. I wonder how his wife feels about, like, okay, our wedding day, or one of his kids when they were born. The, so he's given his life to perform. The dream is to be in the Hall of Fame. He's finally in the Hall of Fame. His bust will be in bronze, and people that don't know him 10 or 15 or 20 years ago will walk by and go, oh, that's that guy, receiver for that team. And, you know, and, and, and then if you're his kid, you're thinking, so the, the happiest day in my dad's life didn't have anything to do with me. The happiest day didn't have anything to do with my marriage. And, and, and you know what? He's sincere. And I really like the guy. He's one of my favorite players. But I just thought, you talk about your ladder getting set on the wrong wall and climbing it to the top and realizing, boy, if having your bust in bronze makes the happiest day of your life, how many of us right now listening to our conversation are working like crazy are busy on the weekends, driving from sport to sport, have no time for one another, are completely stressed out, only to find when your kids hit 20, instead of feeling grateful like you've done all this for them, they say, you know what, we didn't have very rich relationships, you didn't have any time for me, quote, you made me do all these things. In fact, we were trying to love them. And then you wake up and the guy spent all of his time on his job and the woman all the time with the kids and now it's the empty nest and we have nothing in common. And all that really matters, loving God, loving each other, loving your kids, took third or fourth or fifth place. And then you have train wrecks. And, and pastoring for 30 years, I'm just seeing it everywhere. And, it and you know, and the amazing thing, Chip, is at the end, all of the temporal passes away. I mean, one day it's all going to return back to dust. Even, even those bronze statues right. will be gone. And all we're left with is the eternal. If you've just joined the conversation today, you recognize the voice. Pastor Chip Ingram, Senior Pastor at Venture Christian Church in Los Gatos, and a brand new book out that can be life-changing for you, Spiritual Simplicity, Doing Less, Loving More. We'll get back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
And welcome back. We're in the home stretch of our conversation today. Our guest, of course, a very familiar voice to KFAX listeners. He is Pastor Chip Ingram. Got a new book out called Spiritual Simplicity, Doing Less, Loving More. By the way, sometimes these books attempt to be uh, very deep, very profound, very thick. (laughs) This is not one of them. This is a book that takes you deep, but does it in simplicity, even as the title suggests. And a book that probably in the course of a couple of days you could read Take to heart, begin to apply these these thoroughly biblical principles, and begin to see God do a revolution in your life. You can pick up a copy of Spiritual Simplicity at any Bay Area bookstore, or simply order it online through Amazon.com. The publisher, of course, Simon and Schuster. Well, Pastor Chip, as we head down the, the stretch here, uh, you get in toward the end of the book um, some very important steps, uh, suggesting that uh, this is kind of some of the things that we need to do in order to see this work out in our practical life. And I, and I had a kick as I read your, your lift of step down, step away, step in, step out. I thought, well, at first it seemed like instructions for maybe square dancing. <laughs> but, but in fact, it's great practical instructions to learn how to apply these principles to achieve spiritual simplicity. Walk us through. Greg, I'd be glad to. You know, step down, and this is where it all begins. You, you have to surrender. You just have to say, you know, Lord, um, I'm, I'm going to bow before you and realize that Loving you and loving others is, has not been the priority. I want to own that. I want to confess that. I want to ask for your help. And I'm going to surrender and say, I, I will do whatever you want me to do. And then I think step in is realizing that no one can do this alone. I, I mean, this is not like I had a guy tell me, hey, thanks. It was kind of short, kind of simple. I read it in about two, two and a half hours. And, um, but just reading a book will maybe put some good ideas in your mind. You need people. In fact, one of the things we did, we spent a considerable amount of time and energy and money to make a small group DVD that goes right with every chapter. And that's available at livingontheedge.org. But, um, and we made the teaching time just about 20 minutes, so there's plenty of time to really discuss it. But you've got to do this with other people. And then I think the third one is step up. And um, this is a time when you just, you know, you're with other people and you just have to say, you know something, I'm going to take a step to love and get involved in other people's lives. So much of this, you know, about love is our focus gets to be on us and how we're doing. And at some point you, you kind of step up and you say, who has a need that I, I'm, I'm called by God to meet, starting with my family, my mate, my kids, my roommate? And then you step out, and eventually you just have to begin to reach out and say, you know, we as a family, what would happen, what would happen if instead of always asking how are we doing, if we as a family actually maybe went out on the front porch and looked at all the houses around here or drove through our neighborhood or just said, you know, where are we burdened? How could we help other people? And so you find it's a, it's a real clear progression that... Um, allows us to get our focus off ourselves, get reconnected to God, love one another, be strengthened. And then I I just, as we taught this at our church, I just watched person after person after person tell me stories, Craig, about, you know, I didn't have any time and I was so busy. And you know what? I invited a group of ladies over to my house just once. I thought, oh, I don't have time, but I don't have any relationships. And every time I get with people, oh, yeah, let's get together someday, some way. She goes, I invited people over and everyone came. She says, I have no agenda. All I would like to do is eight people that I got to know from school, and I had them over. I had some light coffee, and I just said, how could we pray for you? And she goes, we, we spent two hours as women, bonds formed, and she goes, you know something? I just started making time for it. My life got turned around. 
You know, and the amazing thing about that is if we take that focus off of self and put it on to others, not only are we, we helping to fulfill that, that, that greatest commandment and the, and the great commission, but it takes us back, as you do in the final pages of the book, to what it really means to be a disciple of Christ. Spend a moment on that, would you, as we conclude our conversation today, Pastor Chip? Well, at the heart of, uh, I think, what God made me to do is to help Christians live like Christians. And I think the profile of a disciple, when you're really loving people, rather than make it some sort of vague feeling, after 11 chapters in, in Romans of God describing what his love for us looks like, in chapter 12 he says, let me just give you a profile. In fact, I believe if there was a big server in heaven, and you could log on to heaven.com slash disciple, I think the server in heaven would put this on your computer, and it would be, here's a picture or a profile of a genuine, authentic, loving disciple. Loving God is your surrender to Him. You offer your body as a living sacrifice. Uh, Loving uh, God means that you're also separate from the world's values, where you're not conformed to this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then we not only love God, but we love ourselves. And in verses 3 through 8 of Romans 12, He says you need to have a sober self-assessment. Don't think too high of yourself. Don't think too low, but an accurate view of who you are, what's your strengths, what's your gifts. And then he tells us how to love believers. And he says in verses 9 through 13, you you know what? You serve one another in love. You take off your mask. You be devoted to one another. You do life in community. And then finally, at the very end of this one chapter, he says, well, what about those who attack you? What about the evil in the world? What about unbelievers who are just completely against you? How to respond? He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. And so around here at the the church and at Living on the Edge, we talk about a mature, loving disciple is surrendered to God, separate from the world's values, has a sober self-assessment, is serving in love, and supernaturally responding to evil with good. The, the amazing thing, I think, at the end of the day, Pastor Chip, we, we look at the, these principles of doing less and loving more, and we, we see that prescription that Paul offers through books like, like Corinthians. I think the payoff is incredible because not only does it mean that we have our own life-changing and, and, and more fulfilling experience in all of our relationships, but what a way to set the world on fire. What a way for the church to impact the world around us in such a significant fashion by loving more. The one characteristic that's absent from the world that we as believers, as, as the body of Christ, can provide, and that is real love. Well, you know my story, and I came close to not trusting Christ because of a very bad, unloving, hypocritical church experience. And I came to Christ because I met some, I happened to be very interested in athletics, and I was at a camp with athletes who actually loved one another. I mean, in a masculine, powerful, biblical way. And, and God used that. I didn't know that Jesus prayed that when people love one another like that, it would confirm that the Father sent the Son. But the authenticity and the vulnerability and the way they biblically, in a masculine way, love one another, all I knew was whatever they have, that's what I want. That's how I trusted Christ. And, I, and Craig, my heart's desire is when Christians live like Christians, not perfectly, but when we love one another, there will be no more powerful apologetic than all the face of the earth, than people meeting people that go, wow, you know what? You all really love one another. You know, you, your marriage is different. You, you really sacrifice for one another. You really care about people that look differently and don't have things. And you live out your life the way Jesus lived his life. And um, that's my heart's desire. And 
I pray that God will multiply that in the Bay Area like never before. We gloss past that scripture, they will know us by our love. And we tend to want to redefine that as by what we do, how much we donate, how many people showed up to church on Sunday and participated in XYZ. No, at the end of the day, the 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 mantle, uh, the measure, the, the yardstick by which we are measured is our love. A look at spiritual simplicity, doing less, loving more. Now, as Pastor Chip mentions, there's also a small group DVD that accompanies this book, and you can order it online through livingontheedge.org. That's livingontheedge.org. Spiritual simplicity, doing less, loving more. Newly published by Simon & Schuster, its author, our guest today on this edition of Lifeline, Pastor Chip Ingram. Chip, as always, we appreciate the time and the insights. It's an honor to be with you, Craig. God bless you and the KFAX team. Appreciate it. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.